Father in heaven, uh, today we praise you for how you have designed men and women, gifting and calling them uniquely to love and nurture the next generation of people who praise you. And today we pray for the women who have loved us as mothers. We honor and we pray for mothers who are raising children. We honor and we pray for those who are pregnant with children, for those who are missing children, for those longing for children, for those adopting children, for those providing foster care for children, and for those raising children as a single parent. All of these women are known and loved by you, Almighty God. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would raise up the next generation of daughters who will become mothers. We know that your word says that one generation commends your praise to the next. And so we ask that you move powerfully in this generation among our daughters so that the next will know and love you and trust fully in the work of Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So last week, uh, Pastor Kyle preached a really helpful message uh, to start our new teaching series, which is called The Me I Want to Be. And we, Kyle and I have been reading a book by a pastor named John Ortberg, who had the privilege a few months ago to fly out to his hometown and, and spend some time with him and learned a great deal from him. And I'm excited to Uh, kind of take some of the things that he taught me, and now he's teaching Kyle and me through reading his book. Um, But we're we're in this series called The Me I Want to Be, and it's a series on spiritual growth. And uh, Kyle used a word, uh, Pastor Kyle used a word last week that describes how many of us feel spiritually, especially in the last few years. He used the word languishing. And this week, as I've been talking to many of you and Many of you have said, Kyle's message was really good, and what stood out to most people that I've talked to this week was that single word, languishing. Some of you have said, that's it. I was talking to one person in our church, she said, that's it. That's the word that I've been searching for to describe how I feel. I am languishing right now. You know, many of you feel this way. You say, I'm not depressed, I have hope. I'm not burned out. I've got energy. I'm just stuck. I'm languishing. Many of you have said this. Maybe you feel that way. One definition for languishing is to suffer from remaining in an unpleasant place or situation. And that's where many of us are right now. We are suffering because we are remaining. We feel stuck in an unpleasant place or an unpleasant state of mind. Like, we all know where we want to be, right? We all know who we want to be, how we want to feel. We know what kind of life we want to live. We know what kind of impact we want our lives to have on others. Yet, many of us are languishing between the me we are and the me we want to be. And this is likely true in multiple areas of your life. Maybe if you're a mom in parenting, or if you're a father in parenting, you're like, I know the kind of parent I want to be, but I feel like I'm not getting there. I'm languishing between the parent I want to be and the parent, or the parent I feel like I am. Some of you, it's work. You feel like you're languishing there. Some of you feel like you're languishing in school. Maybe you feel like your health is languishing. And, uh, but, but, I, but we're in church today, so what I want us to consider is I want us to consider the spiritual languishing that many of us feel, and it affects all the other areas. You see, when it comes to our spiritual lives, 
there is a gap. There's a gap between the way many of us feel and the gap between how we feel and the life that we read about in the scriptures that Jesus says he offers. So we go, okay, I feel the way I feel. But then the apostle Peter talks about a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And the apostle Paul talks about a peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus talks about abundant life. Says, come to me and you'll never thirst again. You'll never want for anything else. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus invites us as we read every, uh, as we read in our call to worship, come to me all who are weary and you will find rest for your souls. And you think to yourself, you read those things and you go, I want that. That's what I want. I want to experience those things. I want to be that person. And you go, yet, here I am. My life doesn't feel abundant. It feels scarce. I'm more anxious than peaceful, much less a peace that surpasses understanding, and I'm exhausted. What is this rest that Jesus talks about? There's this life that the Bible says is possible, and then there's this life that I feel like I'm living. What is up with the gap? I'm languishing in the gap, we say. That's the gap. How many of you know the frustration of the gap? I know it. I know you know it. What do we do with that gap? There are various ways that we try to manage the gap. There are various gap management strategies that we have. And so what many of us do is we notice the gap between the person we feel like we are and the life that God says is possible. And so we begin to try to manage the gap. And we do it by striving, by searching, and by pretending. So the first thing we do is we strive. We try harder. So you go, okay, I feel like I should be more spiritual. My spiritual life should be more vital and vibrant than it is. And so I just need to try harder. There's something wrong with me. I've got to try harder to, to experience this life that Jesus talks about. So I need to read another book. I need to listen to another podcast. You know what? There's some people at church that talk about they wake up at 4 a.m. and they pray for three hours. I should try that. And they, there are people that read through the Bible in six months. Forget that. I'm going to do it in three months. I'm going to download the Bible app on my phone. I'm going to do it. I'm, I, I, to get where they are, I've got to try as hard as they try. So I'm going to do these things. And so I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. I'm going to read the Bible in a year. I'm going to do these things. And you start to do it. And you start trying really hard. But then life happens. You sleep in a few days in a row. And you go, I blew it. I blew it. And so you quit. You quit that little new initiative that you had. I was going to read through the Bible in a year. I didn't make it past Genesis because I slept in. And now what happens is now you feel guilty. And so you get in a guilt and a shame cycle, and now you're in a worse place than you were before you started. So now you were languishing. Now you're languishing, and you're in a guilt-shame cycle. So you, you, trying harder doesn't work. Striving doesn't work. So then you go, okay, if trying harder doesn't work, I must be trying the wrong things. Then you start to search for the silver bullet or the magic fix. You go, you know what? This Bible reading plan isn't working. The way I've been doing it isn't working. So I got to find that, that new popular book that everybody's talking about with that new spiritual practice that will unlock everything for me. You guys remember The Secret? It's like, oh, if I, got, if I watch this documentary and read this book and buy all these products that they're selling me, boy, <laughs> I will feel great, 
right? And so we, we start adopting all these practices, mindfulness, meditation, uh, some new knowledge. I've got to find some new theology. I've got to read some new stream of authors because maybe there's some like uh, secret knowledge that I'm not aware of or some secret practice that I haven't tried. If I try that thing, that might fix the problem. Some, of, some people will often think, well, you know, I'm languishing spiritually. My church must be the problem. I'm going to go find another church. And so we get into a church shopping cycle, and we go, that church should meet my, that church, maybe this, maybe my church is the reason I'm languishing. And so we start looking around at different churches. Um, sometimes we think a move can help us. A lot of people languished during the pandemic, and they were like, I'm out of New York. I don't know why, but it feels like, no, like 30% of our church did leave the city, and it feels like they all went to North Carolina or Florida. Why? And many, like, you know, sometimes we think, and especially in a city like ours, because this city can beat us up, and we think, man, I'm languishing spiritually. I bet if I moved to Florida, life would be easier. I'd have a yard, you know? I'd have a parking spot, and life would be so much easier. And if I wasn't so stressed like I am in New York, if I was just in Florida where it's sunny and there's parking spots everywhere boy, I would be happier, I'd be more peaceful, and that would make my spiritual life better. Um, I was watching on Saturday Night Live year, a couple years ago. Adam Sandler uh, did a sketch where he was uh, uh, set up tours for Italy. And he was like this Italian guy. And he was like, you know, Giovanni's I Italian tours or whatever. And he says, look, we can take you hiking, but we can't make you become a person who likes to hike. Because he was getting upset that people were writing bad Yelp reviews about his tour company because they were messed up on the inside. He was like, look, I can take you to picturesque places, but I can't make you like the way you look in pictures. <laughs> he says, I, we can take you to Italy, but you'll still be you in Italy. Listen, you can learn a new spiritual practice. You can read some new books. You can go to another church. You can move to another neighborhood. And you can try some new thing, but you will still be you. And that's going to leave you frustrated, and it's going to throw you back into the shame cycle. Because you're going to go, I'm searching for all these things, and I'm still just as languishing as I was before. The problem must be with me. What's wrong with me? And you're back in the shame cycle. So then what often happens is if those things don't work, we just start pretending. We start faking it. And we go, okay, if I'm not, I, I'm not reaching this spiritual growth level that I feel like I should, and it, I look around, and it seems like other people are reaching this level. So what we do is we start pretending to be better off than we are, to be more mature than we are. We start uh, pretending like we have deeper experiences with God than we really do, and we start lying to other people about our interior lives. How you doing? Oh, man, I am doing blessed and highly favored. Just walking with God, just never a bad day in the Lord. Praise God. You start praying in groups like you teleported to the 17th century to sound spiritual? Oh God, how great thou art. Here I raise my Ebenezer, oh thou God. Thou art so, and you start, because what are you trying to, you're trying to, you're trying to impress the people around you because there's this 
thing in our minds that thinks if we can that thinks to ourselves if we can convince other people that we are this thing that we want to be then maybe we'll catch up to it we'll fake it until we make it right and so we start to pretend that we're the me we wish to be or we're the me that other people expect us to be and we may fool others but in our hearts we know the gap is still there And all of this striving, searching, pretending, what it does is it leaves us exhausted, it leaves us confused, and it leaves us frustrated. And in the end, what it often leads us to do is we simply give up and we just accept our languishing. We go, this this must just be the best it's going to get for me spiritually. And the next step after that is we usually start growing cynical And we start doubting that God's promises are even real. And you begin to believe that the life the scriptures say are possible for you, you start to believe they're a myth. And then if if you let that doubt and cynicism go even further, what will happen is you will even start looking at godly people who are experiencing that abundant life, and you start thinking, they must be phony. Because this can't be real. Because I'm languishing. They must be faking it. But listen, I want to remind you, Perhaps you can just imagine with me for a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus here, if there's been a moment in your life where you said, Jesus, I'm, I'm yours. I'm following you. If you're, if you're not a Christian, you're exploring faith, you may not be able to imagine this moment. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Do you remember when you first became a Christian? Do you remember when your eyes were opened? And you were able to admit to yourself in that moment, I can't fix myself. I don't have the resources within myself to fix myself. And you said, but I believe that God can, and I believe that God will. And you made a conscious decision to say, I'm no longer going to strive and search and pretend that everything is okay. I'm trusting you, God, to do in my life what only you can do because I can't do it. For some of you that you may have been a child, that may have been decades ago. For some of you, it may have been a few weeks ago. But do you remember the freedom that came in your spirit in that moment or in that season of your life? You weren't languishing then. You were free. You were flourishing. But then false religion and other people's expectations started to leak into your spiritual life. When it was just the love and the grace of Jesus, you were free. But then false religion and other people's expectations started leaking into that, and it started to rob you of the spiritual, of the joy that Jesus had given you. So here's what I want you to see today. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is what I want you to see. This verse right here is so crystal clear what spirit, how spiritual growth happens. This is the ladder that will rescue you from the pit of languishing. As you received Jesus... You didn't receive Jesus by striving, by searching, and by pretending. You received him by the Spirit of God, through the grace of God, the apostles said, and the work of God in your life. You received him by the Spirit and through grace. And the apostle Paul says, that's how you walk in Christ. 
not through striving, trying harder, not through faking it, not through trying some new knowledge, but through that's how you walk. The way you walk in Christ is the way you came to him, is the way you received him. It was the grace of God that brought you to Jesus, and it will be the grace of God that will make you more like Jesus and make you the me you want to be. You see, a life lived by grace is what the scriptures call life in the spirit. And that brings us to our text today, which is Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. The apostle Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. For what? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Life in the flesh is a life of languishing. It's a life drifting from the heart of God and into the sufficiency of self. Life in the spirit, however, is the life that Jesus describes all throughout the Gospels. Abundant life, living water, peace that surpasses understanding. It's a flourishing life. And here's, before I get into our points, this is simply what I want you to know. Life in the spirit is what you really want. This is what you want more than anything else. Put another way, a life with God is the life you really want. It's the me you really want to be. The Apostle Paul says life in the flesh is opposed to life in the spirit to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul says life in the spirit is the life you desperately crave. The life of languishing, the sin you fall into, You don't want those things, and you know you don't want those things. What you really want is life in the Spirit. And we see this elsewhere in the Scripture. Psalm 42 comes to mind. Maybe you've heard the old song. But Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants. (sighs) As the deer pants for flowing streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. And I think sometimes we read this passage and we go, boy, that's what I want. I want to thirst for God. I want to be someone who thirsts for God. And we think this is a passage about desire. I should be someone who thirsts for God like a deer thirsts after water. This is not a passage about desire. It's a statement of fact. The psalm writers are not saying, you need to want God like a deer wants water. They're saying, no, you want God like a a deer wants water. Like a thirsty deer needs streams of living water in a desert. That's how much you need God. The psalm writers are saying, you have a soul. You have a soul. And it longs for God the way a starving deer pants in the desert for water. G.K. Chesterton said, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is searching for God. And what he's saying is that every sin you commit, every time you go chasing after another thing to satisfy you, what you're really looking for is God. St. Augustine, the North African bishop from the third century said, God created us for himself and our hearts will be restless until we find our rest in him. That stirring in your soul, that feeling of languishing, 
that should be a, an alarm clock for your soul that says, I want God. Because what you long for is God. You want life in the Spirit. That is the me you want to be. Whether you admit it to yourself or not, you may be here today, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're here because somebody dragged you, and you say, I don't want God. Yes, you do. Whether you admit it to yourself or not, you were created for God and you will feel the tug of languishing on your soul until you know who you were made for and you surrender to Him. Life in the Spirit, life with God, this is the life you really want. You long for this. Ecclesiastes 3 said, God has set eternity in our hearts. So how do you experience this life with God? How do you walk in the Spirit? The first thing is this. You've got to allow the Spirit to remind you what is true. Let the Spirit remind you what is true. You know, one of the reasons we languish in our spiritual lives is because we forget what we're up against, don't we? We begin to think, I can do this alone. I got this. I can do this in my own power. I can do this through my own motivations, through my own strength. And what happens is we forget the power of the gospel of Christ to strengthen us and to give us life. And so we put all of our trust and our hope in our striving, in our searching, and in our pretending, and we forget the very thing that gives us life. As you received, so walk. How, what did we receive? The gospel of Christ. It is the power of salvation to save you. And we forget it, and we start thinking it's our power to save, and we miss out on what God is giving us. You know, Jesus told his disciples, he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Some people say like, hey, what's the deal with the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit do? And you know, a lot of people, they get weirded out by the Holy Spirit. They're like, is the Holy Spirit the one who makes people run around laps in the church, you know, as people scream and act crazy? Uh, sometimes, maybe, yes. Um, but the, you know what the Holy Spirit's job is? To remind you what Jesus taught. That's what Jesus himself said the Holy Spirit's job was, to bring to your remembrance all that, he's, all that he has said to us. The Holy Spirit's job is not to draw attention to himself. The Holy Spirit's job is to shine a spotlight on Jesus so that your soul can see what Jesus has done for you. Over 200 times the Bible says, don't forget. It's one of the most common commands in the scriptures. Don't forget or remember. You remember the people of Israel, in the sla and they were in slavery in Egypt. This is one of the craziest stories in the Bible. Because we think, man, if God just showed up and I saw God do something amazing in my life, and I just saw it with my own eyes, I would never doubt. I would never sin again. Man, I would be all about God. But the people of God, the people of Israel, they were in slavery in Egypt. God, through all these miraculous events, brings them out of bondage, sets them free, and it doesn't take long before they begin worshiping a golden calf and start languishing in the desert. What happened? They stopped remembering their deliverance. They stopped remembering their salvation. They let their minds forget, and they began languishing. You see, a languishing life is a life that has forgotten the gifts we have been given in Christ. But God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we won't forget. A Spirit-filled life is a life that remembers what Jesus has done. And what has Jesus done? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. What, is G what has God done for you in Jesus? God loves you so much that he has sent Jesus who came to earth 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, became a child, and grew into a man, and lived a perfect life, a life you could never live to show you what true flourishing looks like. And yet Jesus, though he was innocent, he died in your place for your sins and for your languishing so that you could inherit his life and his flourishing and his rewards. It's a trade that he offers. And so if you ever doubt, if you ever doubt that you are worthy of love, or if you ever doubt that your life has any value or purpose, remember, listen to what the Holy Spirit is trying to recall into your mind. Remember how much God loves you, how much he values you, how much he gave for you, how much he endured for you. And if you remember, just let's be honest from, if we remembered what all God has done for us in Christ, if we remembered it daily, it would be so difficult to remain in a languishing life, wouldn't it? It would be impossible to live in shame if we, re- if we remembered what Jesus has done for us. It would be impossible to live without hope if we remembered it. And this is what the Spirit wants to give you, the gift of remembrance of what Jesus has done for you. So walking in the Spirit is listening to the Spirit when he speaks the gospel into your life. This is why church is important. This is why reading your Bible is important. This is why spiritual disciplines are important. Prayer is important. Not so that you can check those things off the list. See, many of us, the reason we're languishing, you're like, I'm doing all the spiritual things, but I'm still languishing. Sometimes it's not because you're doing the, not doing the things. It's because you're doing the things, you're trying to check them off a list. But the reason that the Bible exists, the reason that church exists, the reason that prayer exists, is so that we can know more of who Jesus is. We don't do those things to check them off the list. We do those things so that we can attune our mind to the Holy Spirit of God who wants to remind us what Jesus has done for us and who he says we are through him and so that we can enjoy him. So let the Spirit remind you what is true. And then the second thing I want you to see is we walk in the Spirit by discovering how the Spirit is uniquely leading you. I think one of the biggest blockages to us living the life that God has for us is that we often look at other people's lives too much. And we look at other people's lives and we miss out on what God is trying to say to us, what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us. What I mean by this is we look at other people's spiritual lives and you go, they seem to be thriving. They seem to be doing well. So we try to copy their plan. Or we compare our lives to theirs. And when things, and, and we start to do the things they do, read the books they read, and, 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 and when, when the things they do don't work the same for us, or when our lives don't turn out the same way theirs has, we think, either this spiritual stuff isn't for me, I'm not cut out for this, or maybe just God likes them more. And you know, last week, Kyle taught on Ephesians 2, Pastor Kyle taught on Ephesians 2, which says, we are God's workmanship. Another translation would be, we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Kyle preached the sermon. I don't want to preach it again, but basically it says this, you are God's workmanship. You are handcrafted, created by God for a purpose and a plan. He has a life that is set before you that he wants you to live. And workmanship, masterpiece, those are, those are specific words. The Bible does not say you are an appliance. Appliances get mass-produced on an assembly line. Masterpieces get handcrafted. You're not Ikea furniture. 
You're the expensive furniture that was built by an artesian craftsman who, who is a master of what they do. Appliances get mass-produced, masterpieces get handcrafted, and here's the reality for us. Your spiritual growth is being handcrafted by God himself. Your spiritual growth will not be mass-produced. God never grows two people the same way. So if you want to become the me you want to be, you will have to attune your heart and your mind to how the Spirit is uniquely leading you. You know, I'm running the Brooklyn Half Marathon in a couple weeks, and then Colette Vias is running the same race, and we've been training for it. And now we're on two completely different training plans. Why? Because we have two completely different bodies. We have two completely different training histories, two completely different goals, two completely different capabilities. It would be insane for both of us to be on the same training plan for a half marathon because we're two different people. And it's insane for us to think that we can follow the same growth plan of everybody else and end up in the same place as everybody else. God has a plan for your life. John Ortberg says it like this. He says, our great model for this is God himself. He's uniquely leading us, for he always knows just what each person needs. Listen to this. He had Abraham take a walk, Elijah take a nap, Joshua take a lap, and Adam take the rap. He gave Moses a 40-year timeout. He gave David a harp and a dance. He gave Paul a pen and a scroll. He wrestled with Jacob, argued with Job, whispered, whispered to Elijah, warned Cain, and comforted Hagar. He gave Aaron an altar, Miriam a song, Gideon a fleece, Peter a name, and Elisha a mantle. Jesus was stern with the rich young ruler, tender with the woman caught in adultery, patient with the disciples, blistering with the scribes, gentle with the children, and gracious with the thief on the cross. He says, God never grows two people the same way. God is a handcrafter, not a mass producer. So, what does life in the Spirit require of you? It requires an ability for you to pay attention to who God has uniquely made you to be. Instead of trying to copy everyone else's spiritual life, how has God wired you to know him and love him and worship him? And here are just a few practical questions you can ask that might set you on the journey of walking in the spirit. What brings you life? My favorite movie of all time, if you've ever been in my office, I've got the movie poster in my office, is Chariots of Fire. I love that movie. Um, I'm a runner, you know. And in that movie, Eric Little, who's a, a runner, he says, God made me for a purpose. God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I remember as a teenager, I heard that, and I was like, that's me. Like, when I run, like, that is where I am at rest. That is where I feel most alive. That is where God speaks. Listen, 80% of the sermons that I've ever preached to you, God gave me while I was running. Like, that's where God speaks to me. And you're like, that's insane. Because you go run, and you're like, that's Satan torturing me, not God speaking to me. But God didn't wire you the way he wired me. When I, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. This is how God has wired me. And for you, it could be cooking, reading, taking long walks. It could be teaching. It could be serving. It could be giving. It could be writing a check. 
And you're like, man, I feel alive when I give what God has given me. Now, a caveat here, this is not an excuse to do what you want to do, okay? You say, well, I feel alive when I drive 120 miles an hour on the Belt Parkway. It's not what God, that's not what I'm saying here. I feel alive when I take, you know, psychotropic drugs. No. What helps you feel like God has put you on this earth for a purpose? Do that regularly in tune with the Spirit of God, paying attention to what He's saying to you as you do it. Another question I ask is, what is your temperament? Like, you know, it's all the rave right now to do these personality tests. Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, personality type, Berkman, and then there's the like, are you a golden retriever? Are you an otter? Are you a, you know, lion or whatever? Uh, But those are helpful. They're tools, not rules. But um, how has God uniquely made you? What is your personality? Are you introverted? Are you extroverted? Are you reflective? God has, you're that way because God created you that way. And as you seek to grow in your faith, search for practices and disciplines and spiritual things that honor who you are as a unique creature created by God. Another thing to ask is, what is your learning style? This is where I think a lot of people get hung up in their spiritual growth. Like, let's take Bible study, for example. Um, My learning style is a combination of solitary study and verbal processing. The way I learn best, this is the way I got through school, this is, I mean, this is how I learn anything, is I read the book alone, watch the YouTube video, whatever it is, you know, when I try to learn something, I will study the manual, and then I'll try to talk it out with someone. I verbally process. My wife knows this. Sometimes I'm not asking for a conversation. I just need to verbally process what I read. And as I verbally process it, I begin to articulate it in my mind. This is how I learn. It's how I've always learned. That's how I learn. I spend time reading and then I talk to people about how, what I read. And as I do that, it all kind of comes together. Um, as I study, develop ideas, as I teach them, I begin to articulate those ideas better, which means I have the perfect job for my learning style. I spend several hours a week in my study. For those of you who have been in my office, it is a study. It's not an office. There's no window. It is literally a closet with books in it and a desk. I love it. It's a cave. And I spend hours there every week studying, and then I get up here on Sundays and I teach what I studied. It's the perfect job for me. Studying and preaching are the primary ways that I, I learn the Bible. And in, as a result, it's one of the primary ways I learn about God. I learn about what he's teaching me. And it's one of the primary ways I worship God and enjoy God. I enjoy God while I'm doing this because this is how he's made me. But people often look at me, they're like, that's the pastor. I need to do what the pastor does. But if you're not a reader... And if you're not a public communicator, that's going to crush you. You're going to go, I don't read. Something must be wrong with me. Perhaps you learn best in groups. Or you learn best through listening audibly, podcasts or scripture on tape, those sort of things. Or you learn best through serving or putting things into practice or through journaling or drawing those sort of things, as you, as you read the scriptures, you, you apply them in different ways. God made you that way. The Spirit wants to speak to you in that way. So lean into that. I'm a little on time, so I'll say this. The other questions to ask are, what are the seasons of my life? So Mother's Day, um, there may have been a season in life where you grew spiritually by spending an hour in prayer and Bible study. That's not the season you're in. 
It's okay to have the Bible verse of the day emailed to you and just take in one Bible verse a day. That's okay. It's a season of life. And another thing to ask is, what sins am I most tempted by? What are my pitfalls? And where do I need to listen to the Spirit to protect me? If you want to walk in the Spirit to become the me you really want to be, you must recognize that you are a unique person and the Spirit wants to lead you uniquely. And the last thing I'll say is this, don't quench the Spirit. If you want to walk by the Spirit, do not quench the Spirit. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What does that mean? What does it mean to quench the Spirit? It means do not dull yourself to the calls and the directives of the Spirit in your life. And how do you quench the Spirit? Quenching the Spirit is usually not lost through one defiant, no, I don't want to hear from the Spirit anymore. It happens through a whole lot of not nows. The enemy of life in the Spirit is not defiance, but laziness and apathy. A long enough string of not nows will cause you to have a dulling lack of concern toward the Spirit until you slowly and gradually drift from God and languish. Many of you have habits and addictions that you know are killing you. And they're no, you know that they're leading you to languish. And you hear the gracious, kind, tender spirit of God saying, don't, don't walk this way. But you say, I got this. I'm going to take care of this. Or I'll do this tomorrow, not today. And you indulge in the flesh in a life of languishing by saying, not now. And over time, you dull yourself to the voice of the spirit. This is what it means to quench the spirit. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But we always drift into thinking, ah, apart from him, I'll be fine. Do not quench the Spirit. Colossians 2, as you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him. How did you come to Jesus? It was the Spirit of God that brought you to him. And how are you going to walk toward Jesus? By the Spirit of God. See, we all had different journeys that brought us to Christ, and we will all have different journeys to become like Christ. But if we walk by the Spirit, he will lead you into the person he has created you to be for your joy and for the good of the world. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, the antidote to a life of languishing is a life walking in the Spirit toward Christ-likeness. That's who you want to be. This is who God has made you. And this is where the Spirit is guiding you. So walk. Let me pray for us, church. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. Thank you for sending your spirit, our helper, our advocate, to bring to remembrance the things that you taught us. And so I pray that we would walk by your spirit today and this week. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.